to Wake the Bear Radio with your host, Brandon Johnson, Chris Hurst, and Ron Powers. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome to uh, Wake the Bear Radio. Uh, we have another exciting episode tonight. Uh, we have uh, one person out. Brandon is out, uh, and nice. he is not able to make it tonight, but uh, he is uh, going to be back next week. And we have Chris that is off uh, off campus, and she yes, yes, another state. So, yes, I am, and my internet's low, so I am an avatar tonight. <laughs> yes, yes, what a lovely avatar too. So very nice, and. Um, that's one of the nice things about StreamYard. You can do a little flexibility here and there. So uh, I feel like I'm still talking to you uh, when, when it pulses. So very cool. <laughs> very cool. So how has your week been, Chris? I know that you're out and you're visiting family and things. And uh, yeah. Yes. In this particular branch of the family, I have very little ones. And so it just keeps me grounded. It keeps me real. Uh, life is basically... Um, changing diapers and burping babies and cleaning, helping clean house and prepare meals. And so I've just actually enjoyed rolling up my, my uh, shirt sleeves and uh, getting to work in a very practical way to love on my family. And uh, I know uh, uh, Thanksgiving is next week. So a lot of us are, are just coming down to, realizing that it's approaching very quickly, that that's the beginning of the holidays. It is uh, change, uh, change the clocks and then move into Thanksgiving. And uh, pretty soon you're thinking Christmas. So we are in a busy season. Yes. It's, uh, it's happening so quick. It's um, I, I don't know if I'm getting older or what, but it just seems like it's always happening quicker and quicker every year. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, but I am looking forward to it myself. I, I, I could use the downtime, you know, working uh, full time. Although I have to say, I, I get to work from home some of the week. Uh, and it, I, I don't know if I'll ever go back to a five day work week. It kind of ruined me, you know, after that uh, that whole COVID shuffle that they did with uh, time uh, with yeah. uh, companies. Well, but, you know, uh, we, our topic tonight is a world through polarized glasses. And we were talking about it before the show about. Um, what has this week been for us and what's going on and how do we interpret it and what is God up to and what are the nations up to? And uh, it just feels like a potpourri, kind of like uh, the cornucopia at uh, Thanksgiving. And, and I think the only way we are going to be navigating the next uh, year to the elections and even this next season through the new year will be that we stay grateful. And I'm glad Thanksgiving is coming up to give us that reminder that we need to stay in hope. We need to know that we have a God who loves us. He's all powerful. He's for us. He hears our prayers and he wants us to consult him on what's happening so that we we don't get in fear and we don't um, see through a lens that isn't from a perspective that is seated in the heavenlies, so to speak, with, with Christ. And so I just want to um, just encourage us, stay grateful. I know uh, I'm looking forward to some turkey next week and being with family and just these simple things uh, keep me grounded. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'm looking forward to, I have one more week and then 
Uh, my wife being a teacher will be home. I will be home for the week. And, uh, you know, we've been having this, uh, an amazing weather so far. Uh, we're in central California, uh, Santa Cruz area. And I, it was shorts, you know, shorts and short sleeves today and yesterday and, and so on. And, uh, it was really interesting. I sadly had to go out to a paddle out. Uh, a friend of ours had passed on, uh, um, last week and we all went out and did a paddle out. Uh, he had brain cancer and, and, uh, we paid our respects out in the water and I, it was amazing because it was that sunset and people are still in shorts. And so unseasonably warm. Uh, so I, I really like that kind of weather. <laughs> so, um, I know we need rain, but anyway, it was, um, definitely different. Uh, so, well, let's just dive in. There's just so many things happening in this world. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at the news and I mean, you, we could do a show every day on just the news items of each day. Um, so some things uh, st stood out. I know that you had talked a little bit about um, what you got out of the last rally that uh, President Trump had done or one of his last ones. Um, and do you want to expound a little bit on that? I, I, um, I saw some of the highlights and the clips, um, but I haven't I didn't watch the whole thing this this week. Yeah, let me just talk about the polarization right now between the Dems and the Republicans first, because what you have, one angle of that is that we really don't have a campaign on the Democratic side at all. And on the Republican side, we have MAGA with Trump, and we have uh, what just ended as a very, very poorly um, uh, attended uh Republican GOP uh, debate that that just occurred. And it feels very uh, lackadaisical. You know, there's not a lot of energy. In fact, um, we had uh, we had one member even um, pull out U.S. Senator Tim Scott. He's um, he suspended his GOP bid. He is the only sitting black senator at this time. And he basically said, uh, this is not my time. And I can see it from the after the third debate. So the field on the Republican side is getting a little more narrow. We still have um, Ron DeSantis and we we still have um, Vivek. And uh, that's how you say his, his last name, isn't it? I believe so. Uh, Vivek, well, yeah, Vivek I mean, Renan Swami. Yeah. And uh, so so he seems to be uh, most one of the more interesting ones. And of course, Nikki Haley. So those are sort of the three um, front runners that are non uh, MAGA supporters. So we have this polarization of really nothing's going on in uh, the Democratic camp because uh, their uh, sitting president or resident right now is. Uh, basically setting policy that is showing America what they can expect in the next four years from um, from him. And then we have um, busting it Trump. He's out there again, like last week, he had a, a rally in New Hampshire. He had a rally in Florida and uh, his he was at the uh, the the fights um, is that WWF fights uh, this weekend and I mean he is getting out there he's in the press he's showing himself he's um, speaking about what he stands for he gives campaign promises and he they're 
very directive. They're very, very clear. And uh, he's been wrestling with uh, the Supreme Courts um, in Minnesota. He just uh, won a uh, a case where they weren't going to let President Trump even get on the state primary ballot. Uh, and crazy. so the, the Minnesota Supreme Court uh, had that effort dismissed. And then he's got his New York case. He's got his Georgia case. He's got uh, the January 6th case coming up. And so he's fighting those cases. And all the way, uh, he's He's going to rallies and he's being strong in his policies and what he expects to do. And he's telling the American people and the world, when I become president, this is what you can expect. And, and you know, honestly, I can't think of a, a, a single thing that he has said he would do through his campaign in 2016 um, that he didn't do. And, and I'm expecting that all his campaign promises uh, are going to be are going to be fulfilled. He doesn't not have a plan. He's already figured out um, how to solve the problems that are in front of America and the globe at this time. So I, I'm excited um, that every week he's giving a little bit more of the game plan that he wants to bring to the American people. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Trump is definitely uh, someone you can trust his word. I mean, he has been really faithful in his word. I consider him totally gangsta. I mean, there he is right there. Ah, uh, I love oh that. And, uh, you know, that, that really gets people triggered. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I really do. I feel comfortable every time he says something. I, I feel like he almost is prophetic in some ways. He'll speak things and maybe a year later you start to see what he was talking about and, and he kind of gives us hints, but I haven't really seen him say anything that has not either come forth or um, that he, he didn't fulfill, uh, you know, and that's a, a pretty big contrast to, you know, the other people that were running uh, his, you know, for the Republican presidential. I wanted to kind of highlight a couple real quick, just to show the difference. Uh, first, Nikki Haley, I, I found that she is really a big time rhino and I could see why. And, and the last debate, they said that she won like, Oh, she, she hands down one. I, I just don't see how, but uh, let me just show a little bit about what Nikki Haley represents. Black lives do matter. You were of course born Namrata Nikki Randhawa, you're now Governor Nikki Haley. We need to have the right gun laws actually being followed. And then if we need to look at something, we can. We passed a bill two years ago that said if anyone has a mental health record in any way whatsoever, they cannot get a gun. We need consensus on this. Our goal the consensus on abortion. Would you support a federal ban? I think we, not a full out federal ban. Women don't care about contraception. Legal immigrants are so much more patriotic than most Americans these days. <laughs> immigrants are what make this country great. And then the second thing we need to make sure we do is expand the worker visa program. The fabric of America came from these legal immigrants. That talent is what has made this country so great. What about proposals that would cut legal immigration by 40 percent? Are you comfortable with that? 
Well, I don't know that we're talking 40%. Anyone that wants to come in legally, the United States is going to welcome. What I believe happened within the election is we saw corruption. I don't think it was enough to have changed the result of the election. Do you share the, the view that global warming is a security threat to the United States? I think it is one of the threats, yes. A climate change situation should always be on the table. It should always be one of the issues that we look at. Climate change should always be on the table as one of the factors that we talk about. Climate change will always be on the table for me. Yeah. We're not saying that climate change is not real. It is real. When I came into the state house in 2005, we had a $4 billion budget. When I You kind of get the idea. I mean, you know, wow. some of the things in the beginning, uh, not so big a deal, but she definitely is uh, pushing the climate change, which is how how uh, people lose their rights. You know, they they're they're pushing things, you know, credits and things like that. And, and so I, I see that as a big issue. Um, and uh, what was the one right before there? She said, uh, well, legalized oh. immigration and then. <laughs> Women yeah. don't care about contraception. <laughs> yeah, and, and then uh, and then the uh, the election. She says, "Oh, yeah, there was fraud, but not enough to throw the election." I just do not believe that for a second. I mean, the the whole thing. We've never had mail in ba ballots um, like that. I mean, you know, if you're out of out of the country or something like that, you know, you can apply for one. But I mean, on a massive scale, we've never had that didn't have it to where, you know, they were closing down in the middle of the night and then it's jumping up and the ballot stuffing. And, you know, we've seen the 2000 mules. And so for her to say not enough to throw the election, I would, I, we had, I think a hundred, a uh, hundred representatives asking for an investigation before they concede. And, uh, and they didn't do that. And so obviously there was definitely some um, concerns. So I, I was not impressed with her. Now, a lot of people yeah. have been uh, impressed with uh, Vivek lately. And one of the things um, Vivek, you know, stood out a lot was challenging the RNC and how poorly they have been, you know, just um, doing They've been losing. And so let me just share this. And then I'm going to share something else about him. Um, so this is the good part. And then I'll share the bad part after. Um, so hopefully this NBC doesn't do an advertisement. Why would you uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022. No red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Christian Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? 
Answer the question. Go. Mr. Rogers. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with a Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramos, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is accountability. up. Let me turn That's to Governor, Governor Christie. Why you? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me change the subject really quick. Oh, my gosh. We're being exposed. Wow. Uh, yeah. you know, and I thought that was amazing. And that was that was you know, it was awesome. It was good to hear because that's what people wanted to say themselves. I mean, I, I sure would like to say that, you know, but he had the platform. So I thought that was really um, just really encouraging to, to somebody got out there and, you know. Yeah, he's got he knows what to do when he has a microphone in his hand. He's very articulate. He's very uh, thoughtful and he's very confident in in his speech. But you said you had something that um made yeah. made your you a little concern about him yeah i ran across something you know and and um so you know there's always two sides to every coin and and i still have to search this one out more but i believe this one is pretty accurate uh it sounded like this guy was doing some research let me just uh show that real quick so vivek ramaswamy seems to be the right's new it boy that all the conservative grifters like candace owens and tim pool are latching on to and one of his big claims at the debate the other night was that he's not bought and paid for like all these other guys but how exactly did he make his money at such a young age and you're probably guessing seeing as i'm making this video that it wasn't some sort of unethical way but you're going to want to stick around because i would almost guarantee you it's worse than you're thinking. After working at a hedge fund for a while, Vivek made his big money in the biotech space. Vivek had a company called Axivant that was incorporated in Bermuda, but was pushing a drug called RVT-101 that was supposed to help slow the effects of Alzheimer's. But where exactly did this awesome new drug come from? Did Vivek develop it? Well, of course not. And this is where it starts to get a little crazy because he actually purchased the rights to it from a bigger company, GlaxoSmithKline, for just $5 million. But wait, hold up. If this drug does what they say it does, why would GlaxoSmithKline sell it for just $5 million when they could make billions? Well, it's because they had pretty much given up on the drug after it failed not one, not two, not three, but four clinical trials. Because what Vivek did is he took one of those failed clinical trials put his mom on the research team, who is a doctor, but was also on the board and had stock options in the company. And they took some people out, reworked a couple things, finangled a couple others. And all of a sudden that failed clinical trial was now a clinical trial that showed significant improvement, just like that overnight. You then of course rename the drug and now you have a promising new drug and a finangled phase two clinical trial that you can cherry pick a few lines from. You then go on CNBC and talk about the unlimited potential that this company has. Then all you gotta do is file for your IPO and watch the money roll in. Even though before the company itself actually makes any money, you got to pass phase three clinical trials, but more on that in a second. And when they eventually did do their IPO, it was the biggest biotech IPO ever. The stock doubled on the first day, and eventually it went from $15 all the way up to $50 based on a hope, a prayer, and Vivek's salesmanship. But then after the stock shot up and enough time had passed so Vivek's family and rich friends could sell off their shares, it was then finally time to do stage three trials. And surprise, surprise, it completely flopped, which caused the stock to drop 99% in one trading day because it was now a worthless stock. But he had always known it was a worthless stock. And if you do know anything about the stock market, you're probably asking yourself, why does a company called Axivan have a ticker CO gene therapy? 
Well, that's because after the stock completely tanked, he changed the name because he wanted to make it harder for people to find his pump and dump company. So to recap, mm. the guy that wants to be your president made his fortune by buying a drug that he knew was garbage, super cheap, then using one of the trials that proved it was garbage, having his mom rearrange a few things. He then went out into the media and sold it as the next great American company. And then some poor schmuck that happened to be watching CNBC that day, invested in his company, and in one trading day, lost everything. But it's okay, though, because Vivek, his mom, his brother, and all his rich friends had already made a killing. Finally, in closing, Vivek seems to think that wokeness is destroying the country. But I would really like to ask him, what is hurting the country more? A person using they, them pronouns, or a guy that is running billion-dollar pump-and-dump schemes on Wall Street, destroying the lives of people that were silly enough to believe what he said. So, I don't know. I found it interesting. You know, I don't know. I found it interesting. Yeah, it's there very disappointing, isn't it? I mean, it's disappointing when, um, when you hear, once again, uh, a possibility of deep corruption within a um, a high level player in a party that's running wanting to he's aspiring to be president. So when we we talk about polarization, we're we're just we're wanting someplace between. Um, are there not the the middle of the road conservative? Democrats and kind of progressive Republicans that are honest, you know, the, the old style, um, well, maybe they've always been corrupt, but the old style politicians that were a little less um, one way or the other. But I, I mean, this is very disappointing to me. Yeah. It, it says something about the Republican party. We really don't have um, a, a good choice other than our MAGA representative. And I was reading a substack by Sam Faddis, who's, um, he writes for And One magazine. And he was talking about why won't the Republican party rise up and, and just be a winning party. It's like they refuse to win. And they, uh, he said basically all of the energy in the Republican party is at the grassroots level where people are overwhelmingly supporters of Donald Trump and his agenda. So they're all MAGA people. And among those people, um, you may find Trump personally, they may not think he's, you know, their, their cup of tea, uh, but his platform is wildly popular. And the Republican base, when you yeah. think of what is it the conservatives want, they want term limits because they know about career politicians. They're sick and tired of it. They want free and fair elections because they know that we have been shammed for years and years um, since, uh, probably since elections were, but definitely since the, ele the electronic portion of elections. And they want an end to um, spending our, sending our, our guys and gals abroad, spending our money above the protection of our borders here at home to protecting um, other countries. They want a tough line on China because China is our greatest threat. And they, um, they want to see the United States be able to have some sort of capability to make money, a reindustrialization of the U.S. so that we're not doing the ESG scores to figure out um, 
what the best way to invest in. And by the way, Wall Street is is shifting that policy because it's so detrimental to Wall Street. They're actually removing ESG scores from their stocks, which is um, that's a big win. But yeah. yeah you know, we we still don't have anybody as much as we know there's been compromise, there's been cheating, there there are there's money laundering at the highest level. There's um, you know, pay for play, there's insider trading, you name it. There's it's there in our political process. No one is taking Sorry about action. that. It's loading up, keep going. Yeah, no one is taking action. So um, I think it's very, very frustrating for the Republican base. And that leaves us uh, Trump. And Trump is not a bad, a bad option. I mean, we know what we have with him because we've seen him work hard for four years. And now he's stating what his platform is. He said he'll end the Ukrainian war. He'll, um, he'll eradicate veterans homelessness in America. He will shut the border. We know that. He'll put a ban on terror-plagued countries. And he'll, he wants to really call the globalists out. And he's sick of the political class that hates our nation. And he, he's called them out. You said you saw something on CNN that actually restated what he was stating. But for some reason, in their perspective, all of these things seem to be terrible terrible ideas. <laughs> yeah, it was the funniest thing. It was like the upside down world or something like that. I mean, they they went down this list. I don't have that list on me, but it, it was a list of things like uh, he wants to, you know, he wants to vet people coming into the country. And I'm thinking, hey, that's a great thing. And they're thinking, oh, that's horrible, you know, and uh, oh, they they just went down a whole list of things. Uh, you know, they, he wants us out of NATO. Well, yeah, I think that'd be great. We flip the bill for everything and and then we get pushed around by all these little countries in NATO and it pulls us in. And I mean, it just was bizarre. And 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 the, the person that was the podcaster that was showing that list was saying, I just wonder if maybe CNN was actually just trying to tell us the truth, but they just put their little spin on it. But they are actually exposing people to the truth. I don't know. It just seemed really weird. Um but he is. And you know, he's not like, oh, he's all we've got that he's the best of them. He is a great candidate, like you said. And and I am just I'm really excited. Uh, you know, his his campaign is in a unique position I've never seen before. And, and the position is because Biden has done so horrible, so horrible on everything. He just has to say the solution to all the things that Biden's doing, where a lot of times in the past, a lot of politicians would say they make all these promises and you're like, yeah, that sounds nice, but you know, it's not that bad right now. And everybody right now is going, things are horrible. And so he says, okay, that horrible, horrible thing. Number one, this is how I would fix it. And it makes yeah. total sense. Oh, horrible thing. Number two, this is how I would fix it. And, and the thing is, is most people believe him because when he was in office the first time he did everything he said. And so when he says that he's in such a unique position, I think it's amazing um, to see that because it really has a, a depth of meaning now because you see how bad it is and you go, yes, this is important. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, just that it's so interesting because he's not afraid to call horrible, horrible. And I don't know why it shocks us so much that he, you know, he just speaks the truth. I think it's because uh, for so many years, the political, 
uh, platforms have tippy-toed around things and they've um, been mudslinging instead of solving problems. And uh, the promises that he's making, I think, unlike other possible candidates, um, I think he's going to uh, keep his promises. I would love to see him have that chance. I know, I don't know if you saw, but even this uh, this afternoon, what came out in the news was that Obama Democrat strategist David Axelrod, he advised President uh, Biden today to drop out of the 2024 <laughs> presidential race because of <laughs> the, the polls were so bad for him. And he said, basically, in the five key battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, Biden right now is behind in every single one of them, uh, behind Trump. And those were states that Biden supposedly won when he faced off Trump in 2020. And so um, with this in mind, we're looking at who would be the next candidate. Well, the one that's been touring China and is going to be hosting the the um, uh, the APEC uh, conferences this coming week is Gavin Newsom. And what's so crazy, you you and I know because we are California citizens, that Gavin Newsom he's trying to appear moderate. He's even trying to look like he's kind of pro America to bolster his standing in. Uh, what is probably going to be a presidential run, candidate run. And his um, his slogan is, I will do for America what I did for California. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's not a good, uh, yeah, that's not a good slogan. Or Can, can you think of um, some policies that you would, that kind of turn your stomach when you think of our governor having, um, put on our state some things that uh, you wouldn't want on any states. Well, just the abortion thing. I mean, he's like, hey, we're an abortion sanctuary. You can come. We'll fly you. We'll even pay for your airline tickets from whatever state you're in, and we'll we'll do the abortion. I mean, he was so pushing it. I mean, he's like an abortion Nazi, if you think about it. I mean, he really is pushing it, and um, that, that one stands out for me. I, it, you know, the other thing is he's a big hypocrite, you know, He's like his, I, I can go on, but you know, the, the thing with the COVID it's like, oh, you know, you can't go out to eat. You can't do all that stuff yet. He's at this, oh, yeah. you know, the, the French, French laundry. laundry. Yeah. yeah I mean. You know, and, and he's slick. I mean, he's just, he just looks really, uh, really slick, you know? So, well, he's I, been groomed in yeah. some, some amazingly slick, um, <laughs> shysters, hasn't he? You know, a little bit about his background, don't you? I do. I'm going to go over that. Uh, one of the things, so this week, um, I, I want to talk about that first. You know, they had the apex uh, happening, which is the Asian Pacific, uh, where he meets with California. Yeah, economic. And, yeah, it's an economic summit uh, yeah. with the Asian Pacific. And so what's he do? He wants to sweep the dirt underneath the rug and clean up the city, um, you know, just to, to make everything look good uh, for Xi Jinping. Ping. So, so anyway, I got a little clip here. Just he admits it. He got called out on it. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. But it's also <laughs> true for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. 
And we've raised the bar of expectation between the city, the county, and the state. Oh, really? I mean, come on. This has been a, a, a just absolute pandemic of, of filth. You know, they were getting known for, you know, people pooping on the sidewalk and, and needles laying around. I mean, it's been that way for a long time in, in San Francisco and stuff. And so, I, you know, when Newsom says this is new, it's like, well, gosh, you're you're about five, 10 years too late. And it's the yeah. policies that have have attracted that. So. Yeah, and you and I both know we've. Um, I mean, I haven't been up to the city intentionally for quite a few years. I know friends when they go up there, they will leave their windows rolled down because yeah. they know they're going to have them busted in. So at least people can see what's in their car, and uh, the, it is just so high high in crime. Um, I, I guess the city they're getting fifty three million just to host this um, APEC, the Asian Pacific Economic Conference. And so they are cleaning up. They've actually done deep cleaning all over the place. And uh, Newsom's, he admitted, yeah, we're doing it now. Just like I think what he said is, if you're going to have friends over, of course you're going to clean your house. But uh, he's saying that there has been set aside for California this $1.2 billion program that is now being implemented conveniently enough the last three weeks. Caltran is, they basically cleared out 3,200 uh, homeless encampments uh, that around the state, they're trying to begin to clear them out. But uh, we know that the homeless were down in major intersections, major down by the Moscone Center. They've been cleared out of San Francisco and uh, the, the leaders in San Francisco, in the hotel industry, they've been crying for for the last 18 months that the tourism business is going down, down, down. And so now there seems to be some infusion. Uh, Caltrans actually wow. repaved some major highways and on-ramps in San Francisco, and they were in BART stations with these pr pr pressure washers and uh, scrubbers, and they were trying to like decon the, the city streets and so oh, yeah um, they've got a a wall around everything as you're talking i'm showing he he's erected a wall around everything uh, every street's got uh you know these these uh special made gated walls oh yeah and then he's got these these uh tree planting it was so funny because they had these <laughs> aluminum look they look like horse troughs large horse troughs with plants in them where there were two weeks ago there were camps um, tents from the homeless and somebody posted on um, on X, they said, evidently Newsom is, um, has buried the homeless in these planter boxes. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, just... it, it is very hypocritical, isn't it? Yeah. The whole thing is, it's just, it's, uh, it's very frustrating to see, you know, but I guess he believes in a wall. I mean, now, you know, he's done his share of building the wall. You didn't get any pushback. But, Are you uh, talking about the wall around San Francisco? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, while you're talking, I know you're probably unable to see it because of the, you know, your connection yeah. and stuff. But I was showing um, every street's got uh, like a, a chain link type fence, a very yeah. nice one. They're all black fences and they're around every street and uh, they have gates and, and stuff to every street corner. So yeah, he, he's done the whole, that's where a lot of that money's probably come.
But uh, yeah, so one of the things I'd like to show is a little bit of his ties. Um, you know, us being in California, we're aware of it. We've read it before many times, um, but I, I, maybe a lot of people haven't. And this is a guy that may be running for president. So, and, and it just blows my mind. I'll save the comments actually till after. Let me just, let me just uh, share this right now. Pat Brown's father, Edmund Joseph Brown, was known for running scams and gambling operations in San Francisco. With the help of businessman William Newsom II, Pat Brown became governor of California for two terms. During his governorship, he awarded the Squaw Valley concession contract to William Newsom III and his partner, John Pelosi. The deal was criticized for the state of California paying for everything and getting nothing. William Newsom III grew up with the governor's son, Jerry, who was training to be a Jesuit priest. John Pelosi's son, Paul, married Nancy D'Alessandro, daughter of Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., who was known for smuggling heroin into the U.S. with Lucky Luciano and the Baltimore Mafia. John Pelosi's son, Ron, married William Newsom's daughter, Barbara. Over ongoing disputes about the Squaw Valley concession, William Newsom Sr. threatened to hurt the governor politically, just as Governor Brown was running for a third term against Ronald Reagan. He lost. But eight years later, the former governor's Jesuit son, Jerry, reclaimed the governorship in 1974. He appointed William Newsom III to a Placer County judgeship in 1975, and three years later to the State Court of Appeal. William Newsom was an attorney for oil magnate J. Paul Getty, named in the 1966 Guinness Book of World Records as the world's richest private citizen. And while serving on the appellate bench in the 1980s, he helped Getty's son, Gordon, secure a change in state trust law that allowed him to claim his share of a multi-air trust. After Newsom retired from the bench, he became administrator of the Getty Trust and provided seed money for his son, Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi's nephew, to start the plump jack business that led to a career in San Francisco politics as mayor of San Francisco and lieutenant governor of the state of California. Gavin Newsom was informally adopted by the Gettys after his parents divorced and recently succeeded family friend Jerry Brown to be the current governor of California. For 80 years, these four families have ruled over the state of California politically. And with the help of Kamala Harris, Maxine Waters, Adam Schiff, and Dianne Feinstein, California's uncontrollable state government spending has amounted to over $2 trillion in debt and the highest tax rates in the country. The homelessness population is on the rise so much that a typhus outbreak has reached epidemic levels. Thousands of needles from illicit drugs litter the streets. They have made California a sanctuary state. They have been steadily chiseling away at the Second Amendment. 
They have passed laws for mandatory vaccinations. And they continue to aggressively oppose our president on every front. On October 1st, 2016, right before Donald Trump won the election, President Obama transferred full control of the internet from the US government to an independent California nonprofit organization. In a cyber war scenario, the US government may not have control over the internet, even if it secures military and government domains and IP addresses. The targets in cyber warfare are likely to be civilian, and the U.S. government requires private sector infrastructure to operate. Since the Internet underpins our computer systems, electrical grids, communication systems, and other critical infrastructure, our entire civilian society could be at risk. Who controls California? Who controls the four families? What is a republic? For NewsWars.com, this is Greg Reese. Yeah, so that's the dark side. <laughs> yeah, well, let me answer that question because I know who controls those four families. Uh, in that wine industry up in Plump Jack, um, where Pelosi is, she has a vineyard down the street, the Pelosi's do, and um, is Opus One. And they are the Jesuit money behind uh, Gavin Newsom, the Browns, Pelosi. Uh, and uh, that that money is Rothschild money. Mm. And, and it is, um, it's very clear. And the Gettys also. And what they didn't um, indicate in there that was that when Newsom was a, a young, uh, a teenager, um, Getty didn't adopt him, but uh, basically took him into his household to raise him uh, like a um, surrogate father. And uh, I don't know if you know, but there are... Um, very deep, dark things going on under the Getty Muse Museum, the tunnels, the SRA, uh, satanic ritual abuse, the pedophilia, the parties that many, um, many trafficking victims have named. I know Roseanne Barr has named that, but also many other trafficking victims have named that they have been part of those parties as children brought under the Getty Museum. And so we know that there's something very dark. I, I found it very interesting that it was uh, California people were paying for everything and getting nothing through the, these families. And I'll tell you, um, if Gavin Newsom becomes president of the United States, the American people will pay for everything and they will get nothing. Yeah. I mean, his his record is... is um, speaks for itself. He wanted reparations for descendants of slaves. Uh, our gas right now is over $7 per gallon. To be in the middle class in our state, it costs you $24,000 more than in any other state of our nation to be considered middle class because of the, the cost of living 
in our state. Um, Gavin Newsom, he's the one who put porn in K through 12 curriculum. Uh, he wanted state mandated secrecy of gender transitioning in children from parents. He was the first governor in, in the country to declare a COVID emergency. And then he installed himself virtually. I mean, it just seemed to go on and on and on as the, the dictator in chief by um, seizing a unilateral power. And he completely ignored the democratic uh, process and uh, so many other things. We have water rationing problems yeah. and uh, the people that get the water, they, they are favored. We know that over 800,000 Californians have left our state because they can't afford to live here or they hate the politics or it feels dangerous. And, so, and then the dramatic increase in the crime. I mean, we talked about it's not just pooping on the streets in the big cities and the, the homelessness. They, he has set um, prisoners uh, basically close to state prisons. Yeah. And uh, he um, he has set many, many uh, prisoners free. Um, like 76,000. Yeah. yeah 76,000 prisoners out of state prisons uh, just because of an executive order that um, he wrote. And some of them are violent criminals. This was so, uh, due to COVID uh, that he did this. What was his that, excuse? Uh, yeah, that was that was it. But it didn't change once the um, the the COVID mandates changed. Once the state of emergency was was stopped. So um, he also he we are paying in California for over one hundred and thirty eight thousand illegal immigrants medical health care. Um, so it's coming out of our pockets as um, taxpayers and uh, home uh, people who, who pay taxes in the state of, of California. So we just know that these things could come too to a, um, a state near you if he becomes president of the United States. Oh, man. Yeah, that's just that would be horrible. <laughs> that would be absolutely horrible. I'm just glad that uh, President Trump <clears throat> is a strong person, very strong person, and he'll take him down at the kneecaps. I, there is a lot of dirt on him. I mean, there's a lot of failed policies, and all you have to do is just say, look at California. You want the rest of this country to be like California? California does not have a good reputation with a lot of people. You know, highest cost of living, like you said, the homelessness is out of control, uh, overregulated. Um, second amendments completely, uh, challenged left and right, you know, the high and everything, even like if you, uh, someone takes your catalytic converter out of your car and you have to buy a new catalytic converter, they have a catalytic converter for 49 States. And then they have one that includes California, which is twice as much, you know, that should tell you something right there. Just, uh, <laughs> believe me, I've had to look at some of these things, uh, for, for my autos and, I'm like, well, yeah. why, what's so special about California? Well, they're just really strict, you know, and and so there's. A well, and we we tried to recall him. Do you remember that? And he yep. changed the recall law what, from um, the date when it was supposed to happen. He made it a, a quicker date because he decided that would, you know, it was more advantageous to him because there was a lot of organization getting the, the recall Newsom um, campaign going, and it was very close. But um, yeah, yeah. I, and Kevin Kiley, who's now in our uh, Congress, um, and he's in the 
I think he's um, Placerville, Placer County. Um, he's up in the gold country representing them. Uh, he was a big, uh, he wrote a book on uh, Gavin Newsom and he still posts constantly on his, um, his ex feed and it uh, does his blog posts on what is uh, Newsom doing now. So he hasn't forgotten us just because he's in DC. Uh, so, I mean, we, we have got to think hard and long about um, Newsom as a Democratic uh, candidate for president of our country. Yeah. Well, all you can do is expose, right? Expose the uh, the darkness. And, um, and and when enough people hear, you know, I mean, I, I believe there was some cheating even in his. You know, he had the gall to not even be in the voter guide, you know, the last time he ran. He just... And I thought that's really odd. He didn't even didn't even make it into the voter guide. You know, they kind of give you a, a guide and what they stand for and all this stuff. He didn't even bother. I, and it's probably because he knew he was just going to be in anyway. Uh, yeah. So I, I just found that very odd when I got that. And I'm like, why isn't he on there? He, I thought he'd be the first person because he's got the most money behind him or something. But yeah, yeah. But there is there is some hope on the election integrity. Um, front and and I just want to I know we're running out of time tonight on our show but but our message needs to be a message of hope because the truth is that President Trump appointed over 300 federal judges and um, three Supreme Court justices also and uh, in the the um, judicial situation we're just beginning to see some. Uh, some rulings on election integrity and uh, problems that we we knew were going on were frustrating. It's kind of what's going on. Many of them lost the first battle and then they were appealed. And right now we have three or four cases. I know that um, RSBN Network, uh, they did report over the weekend that over 10,000 illegal aliens use the same social security number to vote in November, 2020. I don't know if you saw that piece of news. And I mean, that's going to come to light. That's going to be checked out. And we know that uh, right now that some of the Georgia election cases that they were concerned about mail-in ballots that had been um, copied they, the, there was a case on it and it got dismissed for, um, for uh, it, basically it was improper, um, it was an improper ballot counting in Fulton County, which is part of mm. Atlanta's in that part. But they said there wasn't uh, really a claim that there wasn't precedent, and so, but it was appealed. And now two attorneys have suddenly Um, withdrawn from that case, that appeal case um, that was supporting Fulton County. And so we don't know why, but we have heard there has been, um, there has been a, somebody has leaked that over 150,000 ballots that had been basically bubble wrapped and sealed for the last three years to re-examine have gone missing. I heard and that. So uh, there's things going on in the courtroom. And uh, so we just know that that uh, we do have hope and that the judicial process takes time. And we're just beginning to see some fruit from that. 
We are, we are. And, and people are being educated all along. You know, I wanted to uh, kind of swing onto another, just some examples of people being educated and how powerful it is and how people change their mind when they're exposed to the truth. And so I just wanted to uh, share, this was uh, on campuses, college campuses, as we know, uh, recently with the, the horrific attack on Israel from Hamas, um, we had a lot of people pro Hamas pro-Hamas coming out in this country. And a lot of this indoctrination is happening in our universities. And so uh, this is this is what happens when these people that have been brainwashed by these universities come clashing with uh, reality. And uh, check this out here. Here we go. We're going to play a game called Hamas or. There is no law against raping your wife. Is this Hamas or the Taliban? The Taliban? The answer was Hamas. Oh, wonderful. This law makes it nearly impossible for women and kids to submit claims of incest. Is that Hamas or North Korea? North Korea? The answer was Hamas. Wow. Women of all ages legally need a male guardian to travel. Is that Hamas or ISIS? ISIS. The answer was Hamas. Oh, yeah, that's... In an honor killing, it is basically legal for men to murder women and girls if they are promiscuous. Is that Hamas or the Taliban? Taliban? The answer was Hamas. Uh, so it's a real terrorist organization. They're not freedom fighters. Hamas was just every one of them. It seems so unfair for women. Thanks for educating me. I think women of color, uh, women generally, uh, LGBTQ individuals, everyone needs to know like who they're supporting wow yeah interesting uh, done again yeah it's very interesting and so when they come in contact with the truth there you know you could see this that the wheels are spinning and they're like wow i didn't realize i was supporting that and so it it is good that I, i my hat goes off to that guy going out to college campuses in a very creative way and, you know, sometimes it takes a little creativity for people to open up to, to hear something. You know, it's not just, a, you know, behind a, a, a platform and stuff. And, and so I, I was really impressed with that. Uh, here's another one. It was uh, Woo's News. And they were doing, <laughs> they were doing a, a coverage on J6. And I'm just going to play a clip. It's actually an hour long. But I'm just going to play like a couple, you know, a minutes worth just to show you how they do. It's almost like... Um, Oh, there was a game a game show uh, where people had to do obstacle courses and their sound effects and stuff. It was actually quite uh, quite creative, but it it got the point across. And it's basically that there were a lot of crisis actors involved in this uh, January sixth. So I'm just gonna play about a yeah. minute where just to give you an idea. And I'm gonna put that link in the uh, show notes uh, if you want to watch the whole thing. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes long or so. So here we go. I'm just, I just grabbed it out of the, like the beginning, you know, 15 minutes. William Pepe. And now they're synced up with all the other actors. And now they've arrived. And now we can proceed. And look at all these people just waiting for them. All right, go join all your kayfabe friends. Now Mayor Muriel Bowser and Chief Conti have talked extensively about all the force and backup that they're going to call to prevent something like this. So let's take a look at our first line of defense. You've got to be shitting me. Is that a side ponytail? background actors crazy lady number two just shouting at them because that's her job i know it's hard to look at this getting the photos creating a narrative fake as crisis actors we'll call this guy gik 
for kayfabe. So now Ryan Samsel is going to whisper sweet nothings to Joe Biggs. And there's Victor Blue. And there's Sabrina Tavernez. Getting the pictures. We'll see later. Shooting the Babbitt death sequence. Yep, just waiting for the showdown. So now they've all pulled at the entrance of the Pennsylvania walkway. And right away, Ryan Samsel gets the command to approach. And makes a beeline towards obstacle one. And everyone follows him. Whoopsie lose. You know where the cast of Pacific Blue is waiting for him? Notice how they already have their hands up, which we learned all about in Act 1. And this footage was captured by everyone's favorite <laughs> Blaze TV's Elijah Schaefer. Get a good look at these cops, guys. Notice how they're already grouped, spaced out, and in line. And here you have Happy, because she's happy for hours. As we come into Obstacle 1, Samsel checks back to see that he's not alone. Notice how the plastic liner is still laying out. Alright, we've got Cop 2 from our previous video, pretending to phone it in. It is indeed a side ponytail. No, please don't do that. Everybody's just laughing, hanging out. This Look is why I want to show it, just what happens Shooting here. Shit. Never knew an insurrection could be so funny. And over here, it's the barricade dance. The only game they really have, other than the awful chanting, looks great for camera. You gotta keep the actors busy. Now Samsung dramatically taking off the jean jacket that he's gonna throw to the ground and never retrieve. That's not normal. Now Epps comes up to Samsung. We know what a wonderful kayfabe actor Epps is. He's just whispering for the dramatic effect. Back and forth, and no one has a weapon. And now we have Miss Barbie to the right, who turns out to be Caroline Edwards, who is one of our stars during the June 2022 Capitol hearings. <laughs> Woo! That sounded real. And Barbie hangs on, and here the momentum catapults Barbie's right shoulder into the rail, injuring her. So you can see Samsung put his hands up to his head. He fucked up. That wasn't supposed to happen. And so now look, they just come around, breaking character to check on her, which is nice, which tells me he could be the controller of this scene. They don't want anybody actually hurt. I know that may sound contradicting. The purpose is not to harm each other. The purpose is to get dramatic photos and videos. So they're just grabbing. What the hell are they doing? The cop got a headlock and a cop? Hey, have this cop come down. Can we call him Enrique? Look, he's just fighting the air. If you know what Anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting. And basically what he's trying to say in this whole section is that there was a lot of coordination. Uh, they had a lot of people that were uh, photographers. They came the, with them. They led. They were in the front, and they'd walk backwards. And and a lot of this stuff started while Trump was still at his uh, you know at his rally uh, down the street. And so these people came. And it, there's a background to it. And I just kind of jumped in the middle there. But anyway, um, it's very interesting. I put that in, like I said, in uh, wakethebearradio.com. Uh, in our show notes for tonight's show. And so uh, definitely check it out if you want to see a interesting uh, footage of, of what happened on January 6th. Yeah, that's so good. Thanks for sharing that, Ron. I know that um, as we closed down, there was also a CNN, several embedded uh, journalists in the Hamas um, attack on Israel that um, CNN said they... they um, let them go. But uh, this is not a new technique of creating narrative, creating emotional footage and trying to show evidence um, towards a certain storyline. So I'm so glad that you brought it up. And we want to encourage our listeners to really take a look at uh, how this was put together, even as um, Trump's J6 trial will be approaching soon. Yeah, I have a question for you, Chris, on that, um, on the Hamas and with CNN being one of those um, people recording it, they were there while it was happening. 
Now, if it took seven hours for Israel to respond, but yet they had people like CNN, a cameraman there at the time it was happening, why do you think it took so long for Israel to, uh, to, to find out about it? But yet CNN didn't. Uh, they were there on the scene. Yeah, well, it was a uh, subcontractor of journalists, so it wasn't like they they sent okay. someone from CNN. This was uh, the, there were several individuals who have sent footage to CNN who have been employed by them in in the past, and so they used um, these individuals were seen with um, the the motorcycles that went out and were filmed with some of the Hamas leaders. Uh, they've been circulating pictures across the internet, but you know, the story that we've heard, I just don't think we have all the pieces yet. Yeah. Uh, I do think there were some, some uh, soldiers that did respond right away. I do think that uh, there were some skirmishes early Um but I don't know why there wasn't a larger uh, response from Israel who could have, obviously they could have uh, sent jets and they could have sent uh, parachuters or instantly they could have had resources down there, but that the story is still yet to come. Uh, yep. We do know that uh, yesterday that basically there were jet fighters over Beirut from Israel and as far as uh, Lebanon is concerned, they are part of the conflict now. So the Hezbollah has entered in at a little hotter degree of warfare. And uh, the IDF has dropped pamphlets in southern Lebanon that has told all civilians in that area to now leave. So I think we're yeah. going to continue. This is day 36, I believe, today from uh, October 7th when the they're they're calling their Israeli nine eleven, um, mm. so we we'll see. We'll, when the story comes out, hopefully we'll know the truth. But um, yep. there are a lot of mysteries still, aren't there? There is, there is. Well, as we uh, close uh, another night, uh, I'm glad you were able to reach us even by phone, and um, it was a good show. I think we covered a lot of things, uh, especially what was going on. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week with another Wake the Bear Radio. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs>